Good morning, everyone. Friends, the, um, the readings, um, our first reading and our gospel reading, are set in what um, I would like you to understand as ordinary time. It's just told about an evening and a young man is sleeping. And his mentor, who happens to be a priest in the Hebrew religion, is also sleeping. Just nothing extraordinary, just regular evening with some sleep. Our gospel is the same way. It's just a day in the life of Jesus, but it, comes, it presents itself in the day in the life of John the baptizer. And he's doing what he normally does, just another day. And my, my friends, um, often I think um, uh, these events happen, which we have hindsight, and we see, uh, in fact, it would not be any ordinary day. It would be something different. And... Um, Everything was simply done. We just celebrated Christmas, and uh, Jesus comes. He's, God is made incarnate, and it's just another evening. As a matter of fact, the next day after his birth, Bethlehem went on with all of its carrying on, their business, and the business of the day it was just another day. It almost seemed like nothing happened, but something great had happened. And uh, with the arrival of Jesus on the public scene, uh, the meeting between him and his future apostles happened in a very simple way. Friends, uh, in our first reading, uh, Samuel uh, hears a voice. Uh, the voice seems familiar to him. That's why he goes to his mentor. I'm here. You called me. No, I didn't. Go back to bed. And it happened again. For me, that tells me God doesn't sound like Samuel, Samuel, <laughs> like you see in movies. <laughs> Samuel. And it sounded to him like his mentor. It sounded like a voice that was familiar to him. The scripture tells us Samuel is not familiar with God. He didn't know him. And so um, that calls to mind, well, what is, what is Eli teaching him? <laughs> he's a priest in the temple, so what is he teaching him if he's not teaching him about God? It just meant uh, Samuel was young and didn't fully understand. It takes the priest a little while to figure it out, too, remember? Samuel's like, you call me, what do you want? I didn't call you. You called me, what do you want? Nothing. I don't even, you called me, and finally the priest in the temple's like, ah, oh, you know, this is God. <laughs> God is talking. <laughs> when you hear, say, Lord, your servant is listening. And uh, so it took both of them a little bit to figure it out because it seems so ordinary. And oftentimes I think we expect the burning bush or the pillar of fire at night or a statue moving, but that's not how God operates. The friends I shared with folks last week Deacon and I were having a, just a typical conversation. We were walking around the church to come up to the front, and he said something to me twice. The first time, I chose to ignore it. The second time, I didn't choose to ignore it because even though the deacon didn't understand, because it wasn't for him to understand what was happening, God was using him to reach me to get me to stop doing something. What was I going to do? 
I wrote a homily in three parts, A, B, and C. A was Saturday night, B was 8.30, and I was bound and determined to deliver C at 11 o'clock. But that is not what God wanted, and he used the deacon. Something the deacon said caught my attention, and I, like the priest in the first reading, uh, I got it. Now I understand. So I delivered B again. And that is because there was something in that homily that someone needed to hear at the 11 o'clock. We are told uh, that uh, eventually God, uh, would, God was with Samuel as he is with you and me. Sometimes we just don't realize it, that he's always there. And it said Samuel grew up and God did not allow any of his words to be, to be not effective. Meaning uh, Samuel would become a prophet. He would become a key prophet because uh, he would um, bless the first king for the Hebrews and the Israelites. But uh, when we think of today, when you hear the word prophet, you think of someone who foretells the future. That's not what a prophet of God does. He brings the word of God in the moment that is necessary. And uh, Sometimes that prophet will say, if you don't stop doing that, this is going to happen. That is not foretelling the future. It's pointing out the obvious. If you don't stop your wicked ways, you're going to fall into a pit and you're not going to get out of it. So that's not the prophet Samuel. So he means he spoke something and the people listened. I always hope, and it would be the hope of the deacon also, that when we give a homily, that people listen take what they want because people hear different things. I know because I'll get, Father, in your homily you said, and I'm like, no, I never said that. <laughs> but that's what they heard, the first reading. God speaking, uh, this is what Samuel heard. So my friends, um, the same is for us. God is with us. And if you open your heart to him, you will hear him. Um, maybe... Uh, like I said, Deacon didn't understand what he was doing. It took me, took God twice to say something through him. And oftentimes, this is how God operates. It'll be someone who's speaking to you, and you just get that overriding feeling that it's not the person talking to me. Someone else is saying something. That someone else, the Holy Spirit or God. Sometimes it's in a dream. Sometimes it's, you guys will call it intuition. Sometimes they call it conscience. Sometimes you discard it. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should be more open and discerning about it. Is this God speaking to you? And uh, my friends, um, uh, this will be important for us because people will say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't hear God. And I'm like, well, he's always talking. We just don't listen. That's why the priest tells him, when you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening now. And uh, the other thing uh, that's uh, interesting for me is uh, in, with Samuel, here I am. Here I am. And for me, here I am means I'm not there. Here I am means I'm not outside, means I'm here. Samuel was saying, here, I'm here. I'm not in the bedroom. <laughs> Father, what are you talking about? 
here I am means I'm not over there doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. <laughs> here I am means I am not, I'm posing it in the opposite. If I'm here, then I cannot be there. And sometimes that there is someplace you are not supposed to be. It's someplace where you cannot hear God. And so my friends, uh, this brings me uh, to our gospel. Um, for some time, Jesus' cousin is John the baptizer. He had been telling people about the Messiah and that he was here and he was close and to prepare. We see this ordinary day of John the baptizer. He's on the bank of the Jordan River with two of his disciples, John and Andrew. It was just another day for them. There was no signs in the sky. At that point, there was no voices coming from heaven. Then a man is walking along. And I put this way, a man, because John doesn't tell us. And John the baptizer saw his cousin. <laughs> That's his cousin. It's not brought up. Why? Did John the baptizer not notice it was Jesus, his cousin? Perhaps they hadn't seen each other in 10, 15 years because they were in separate towns. What is it? He just says, there is the one of whom I've been talking. He is the one. And that makes me wonder about Jesus. There was nothing extraordinary about him, at least from the outside. He dressed like John the Baptist. Well, no one dressed like John the Baptizer. <laughs> But uh, he dressed like the people of his time. There was nothing special about his background. As a matter of fact, we know that he's the son of a carpenter from a little village. And yet, when John the Baptist sees him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He is the one I've been telling you about. And so much so that he releases his own disciples, these the people that are with John the Baptizer, this is what they did in their time. Jesus had disciples, John the Baptizer, all the rabbis had disciples. Something about Jesus, so strange that, or extraordinary, that John says, go after him. He's releasing his own disciples. And um, they go. They listen to, at the time, John the Baptist. That's their master. And he said, go. And they're behind Jesus. They're not, they didn't run up to him and say, John the Baptist, your cousin, <laughs> told us to follow you. No, they're following behind. And Jesus is aware that somebody is following him. So he stops and he asks a question. In English, it just sounds like no big deal. What are you looking for? But in Hebrew, in Aramaic, that is not what's being asked. Jesus is asking, what is it that you desire? What are you desire? What is your desire? And desire is a gift from God, as is imagination. And some of us get more of that, right? Your father gets all kinds of imagination. <laughs> I used to call it movies in my head. Now I realize it's not. Uh, it's imagination. But we have the gift of desire. My friends, what I'm about to tell you is not made up for me. I'm not that clever. It's actually in the catechism of the Catholic Church. God gives you the gift of desire 
so that you will come after him. All people, not just Christians, not just Hebrews, all people, because he made all people. And in doing so, he instills. And so Jesus asked them, what is your desire? What are you searching for? And they tell him, Master, Rabbi, where do you stay? And I joke about it, and sometimes my jokes are a little off, uh, but I said, you know, they weren't asking him, are you going to Tacoma? Where do you stay? Who are you is what they're asking. Who are you? What are you about? And Jesus says, come and see. Follow me. Immediately the statement is, they went and they saw, which means in Scripture, spiritually, whatever Jesus, and we don't know, this is a thing that, it's not irritating, it just fascinates me. John tells us it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but he does not tell us what Jesus is speaking about. He does not say what those two disciples and him were talking about, but whatever it was impacted them so much that they stayed with him. And it almost implies as if they just stayed the day, but we know they didn't because it tells us the next day, one of them goes and gets his brother. You got to come. This man is the one that we've been waiting for. So whatever Jesus said, whatever he promised came to pass because he said, come and see. They went and they saw. Whatever he was, whatever they talked about, whatever Jesus promised came true for them. And it impacted and changed their life. They encountered. They didn't just meet somebody. I meet lots of people, and sometimes it's nice, and sometimes it's not nice, and sometimes it's not all impactful. But when you encounter something or someone, it's just really different. That encounter changes. So these disciples were changed by their encounter with Jesus. Ultimately, they would give their life for Jesus and his mission. John when Jesus says, come and you will see, John will tease out what, that on, what, we, what Jesus meant. Ultimately, where are you staying? Jesus will tell them. And I think this is what changed them. They were searching. The thing about desire and the reason why I think Jesus, I know in the English it doesn't say that. What are you looking for? The thing you desire is the thing that you will go after. The thing that you desire, you will do everything and anything possible to have it. You did that with her, didn't you? And you got her. See what I'm at? Sometimes... When it's not properly oriented, it gets us in trouble. You desire the word that the scriptures use is covet. You covet something. That's a bad thing. But when you desire, Jesus knows that God, his Father, has put it on your heart. And you search and you search. Oftentimes, and this is not me either, this is Aquinas, said we desire and sometimes it's not the appropriate thing, and we go after it, and we go after it. 
with everything we have, and then when we finally get it, we don't want it anymore. <laughs> and we move on to the next thing. It's because the thing Aquinas said that you desire is God. You search for the infinite. And your heart, another great saint, uh, Augustine will say, your heart is restless until it finds its truth. And its truth is that it's searching for the one who made you. God made you. And even when in sin we kind of lose some things, that is what we never lose. I, last night I told people, Father Mark, uh, I've only been a priest for 15 years. That means I was doing other things. It was on my heart from a little boy to be a priest. But as my mother said, he's a selfish little brat. <laughs> I did what I wanted when I wanted. I went when I wanted, and I tell people, I don't talk about my vocation story. I don't talk about these pieces because I don't think it's that important for you. What's important is Jesus. But sometimes it matters. I went from Michigan, where I grew up, to Chicago, to New York, to California, back to Michigan. Uh, and I always did well. I did okay. But I kept searching and searching and searching. I knew the whole time. I just didn't like it. I was afraid. I was afraid of what it would be like to be a priest. And one of the things I was afraid of is that I would be poor. Because remember, I lived in a car <laughs> once. And that I would be alone. <laughs> the whole time as I traveled with my job, I was alone anyway. <laughs> you see the madness? <laughs> the, the things that we tell ourselves? And my friends, um, ultimately, I believe what... Jesus told them, and there's nothing in the scriptures to back it up. Where are you staying? I think Jesus told them, I am staying with my father and your father. Because Jesus does a prayer in John's gospel. Father, that, that I am in them and they are in me and I am in you. So the abode where he's staying, who he is, is in the Father. I think he told them that. Come after me, follow me, and you will be in my Father's heart where I am. And who doesn't want to be there? Who doesn't want to be there? We all do. Even if it's misplaced at times, we all want to be there. I think this is what he said to them. I think this is what changed everything for them. So I hope it changes everything for you. I hope some of the words of Deacon's homily and my homily change, or you pick up something, and it helps you in that search. My friends, the second reading, what does the second reading have to do with anything? It's usually an epistle of Paul, and sometimes it's difficult. Paul is posing the body. He's saying, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit comes and visits. Did you hear that part? You're the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit comes and visits you. Whee! <laughs> and in doing so, transforms you, or supposed to. So, and he's saying, your body no longer belongs to you. Jesus paid a price for it. God made you, he sustains you, and he can raise you from the dead. I can't do that. Your husband can't do that. 
only God. So he says, treat it properly. Now, Paul, in this section, will pose it in the negative. Do not use your bodies for immorality. You guys, I think, understand this, so I'm going to pose it in the positive. Use your bodies to give God glory. Speak with your tongue words of forgiveness and kindness and compassion. Build up people. Do not tear them down. That is using your body for the glory of God. Use your body. Stand up for something that is good and right and just. Do not just sit on the fence and watch. Today our youth and our young adults, our hope is being stolen from them and they are hurting themselves with drugs and with cutting themselves and with suicide. Stand up, make your voice known, speak to them. Give God glory by using your body. Interfere. Get involved. Get involved. That is what disciples do. They do not just sit and do nothing. Jesus' first disciples didn't sit and do nothing. They did so much, it got them executed. Except for John. John had to take care of Mary. <laughs> I believe that's why he died of old age, because he was the one designated to take care of Mary. So that is what you do. You do good. And know and respect your own selves. Do not harm yourselves. There are addictions from seven-year-olds now to 70-year-olds around adult things. You know what I'm talking about. Because they take it in with their eyes. They're consuming the wrong thing. That is teaching them the wrong desires and clouding the true desires. Companionship, friendship, love, fidelity. Those are the right things. Use your bodies, your minds, your voices to do these things. Then you will give your Heavenly Father glory and He will smile. Amen? My friend, one final thing. John's Gospel. He, go and read the whole Gospel of John. He has Jesus asking questions. Just we heard, what is it you're looking for. In John's gospel, Jesus asks different people a different question, but the question is always the same. What do you desire? Go and read. It took me years to figure it out. And I finally had a great professor who said, you just aren't learning, are you? I went back to my notes from him because he was the one who said we would never amount to a whole much, meaning we would never come up with our own new ways to understand. He said, you can only regurgitate what I teach you. <laughs> and be happy with it. Profit. Because he was right. I don't say anything new. I really don't. It's all there. It's in the catechism, it's in our traditions, it's all been there. I may present it in a different way. And that's when I discovered that Jesus in John's gospel asks questions to people. 
it sounds different, but it's always the same question because he's meeting that person where they're at. He's meeting them where they're at. But when I studied it more, I realized he was asking the same thing. What is your heart's desire? What is it that you ask of me? Where is it that you want to go? And the answer is always the same. With you, to the Father. 